0: Hey there, Marvelites Tucker here. Before we get into today's show, I wanted to take a second to talk about something that's launching today. Marvel Made is Marvel's new platform, which features never-before-seen prestige Marvel products and high-end collectibles for Marvel's biggest fans. The inaugural product is the Marvel Made Scotty Young Premiere Bundle. This bundle is limited to 2,500, so get your orders in quick, and it includes a limited edition base set of 10 new enamel pins based on the Eisner Award-winning artist's unique designs. That's right, it's all about Scotty Young on this one. These pins are exclusive only to Marvel Made. In this bundle, you also get an oversized hardcover notebook with an original Scotty Young cover, uh, and it also comes with an exclusive Scotty Young variant cover for the Incredible Excalibur number one. You can order it right now at marvel.com/marvelmade. That's marvel.com/m a r v e l m a d e.
1: Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's pull list for comic books. Many of them new, released on Wednesday, July 15, twenty twenty. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent
0: M, and I'm Tucker Marcus.
1: And I have had a hell of a day, friends. <laughs> uh, it started at two a.m. last night when part of my ceiling fell down on my wife and I in our bedroom, waking us up while we were sleeping.
0: Absolutely it was insane. That's like, not fun such a nightmare scenario <laughs> it's like one thing to deal with that i was talking to, i was talking to producer hore about this it's one thing to deal with that like oh like in the middle of the day you go on the bedroom it's like oh crap this happened it's an entirely different thing to have the terrifying middle of the night wake up <laughs> aspect of it which just sucks so hard
1: yeah Yeah, (laughs) and then you like don't know if there's lead in the paint, and then the baby is in the room, and she's like, "Oh my gosh," but everybody's fine. Done a lot of cleanup, waiting on somebody to come in and say what the heck they gotta do to fix it, Uh, and that's okay. I'm gonna take a couple days off after this, uh, enjoy some time uh, on a pontoon boat. Tucker, have you ever been on
0: a pontoon boat? Pontoon boat? No, couldn't even tell you what it is though what springs to mind is PT109 the military boat that one John F Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr was marooned from during World War 2 I think <laughs>
1: Oh boy, that, that was, so, I, I thought you were going to go with a Star Wars thing and you went with a history thing. The uh, the only other beat in Tucker roulette would have been a board game thing. Uh, I, I did not win this round. It's too bad uh but look everybody uh get excited because there's a lot of new comics for you this week uh some fun stuff we're gonna have a big fun episode with all the new comics and then a cool chat with uh, a couple of guys named dan and al we'll get more into that later first things first is a book that everybody can get their hands on it is the free comic book day 2020 issue of x-men i'm excited for y'all because this one is big and it's it's actually even more then X-Men, uh, this one is cool because it's written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard. Art by Pepe freaking Laraz coming in like a lightning bolt. Colors by Marte Gracia and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Again, Pepe freaking Laraz is a beast. This is so good. This issue, um, I, I would say if you're not reading Excalibur, you should read Excalibur dig into this there's a lot of cool stuff tying into that that has been set up over the past uh, couple months by teeny and team um, but this is cool this is laying the groundwork for 10 of swords
0: oh yeah um and hey we're talking about x-men really quick i want to plug an incredible articles that, w- that we have on marvel.com right now all about x-men it is actually specifically about god loves man kills it's written by john jennings um it's called solving for x it's kind of uh, an analysis of uh, God Loves, Man Kills through the lens of 2020, what it meant uh, when it was released, what it meant to so many people, and what it has meant through the years. Uh, it is a really, really incredible piece. Cannot recommend you go over to marvel.com right now and read that enough. But we're talking about X-Men stuff, and we shall continue to do so with our next book this week, which is 2020 I... No! No! What? You are not allowed to keep going yet, Tucker.
1: How dare you? I am going to call up Mr. Tom Taylor right now on the America to Australia phone, which I just made up. <laughs> and I'm going to say, Tom, Tucker, just wanted to skip over your story that is in the free comic book day issue. Oh! because." This is yeah. It's the kickoff of <laughs> yeah. Dark Ages, uh, which is really cool. It's something that Tucker and I, you know, we've been hearing about for a while from various people in editorial and like Dark Ages written in in various planning documents and it's like with dark ages and uh, we're gonna get our first taste of dark ages the full thing uh will be coming you know in fall of uh, this year but it's Tom Taylor with Ivan Coelho and Brian Reber and Joe Sabino from VC uh, coming together to tell a wild tale you're gonna read these first couple pages you're gonna be like wait a minute what am I reading? What's happening? Uh, this is a big saga. You know, if you know what Tom does in telling these sort of like, give them runway, let them go to town, let them have uh, a blast. This is so good. It is so freaking good. I'm so jazzed for this. Um, yeah, it's, it's the good stuff. Uh, and one more X-Men plug before you get into more X-Men comics, Tucker. Uh, the latest episode of This Week in Marvel, we actually also talk about uh, God Loves Men Kills a little bit there. We plug your article. We plug uh, a whole bunch of things. And we have Angelique Crochet on to talk a little bit about it and to share a couple clips she has from Marvel's voices, one of them with the writer of the book, legendary writer himself, Chris Claremont. So um, it's good. We're, I mean, if somebody listening to this has never read... God loves, man kills. Like, just go read it. It's on Marvel Unlimited. We have this new version that just came out recently. Uh, the first part of which is out there. Like, it it's a must read.
0: Yeah, totally agreed. Um, uh, but uh, like like I mentioned, we're we're continuing with X Men stuff, but not just X-Men stuff. X-Men stuff combined with the realm of 2020. Yes, this is 2020 I Wolverine number 1. It's written by Larry Hama. How exciting is that with art by Roland Boshi colors by Andre Samosa and letters by VCs Joe Sabino Um, look at the end of the day uh, I could talk about anything that happens in this book I could be talking about any story um, and just the mere fact that we have Larry Hama Uh, coming on board, writing a Wolverine story like this is so exciting. It is automatically going to pique my interest, automatically going to make this one of uh, the books I'm most excited about on any given week. Uh, And boy, oh boy, does it pay off. Nonetheless, uh, it really, really hits. It is, um, you know, one of my favorite things that the whole 2020 kind of mini event, whatever you want to call it, has been doing is just exploring this world of this um kind of like techno noir uh future kind of thing I, I just i there there are a bunch of different ways you could explain it dude it's
1: one of the most violent books yes. we put out in a long time yeah, it's, it's really, like
0: an 80s action movie exactly in
1: all the best ways i freaking love this book i love larry hama when he's writing wolverine and here he's writing albert and lcd two of my favorite characters from his tenure on you know wolverine and, and that like time period
0: man this rules it's so good it, it it is like perfect wolverine exactly what you ordered um and then for the rest of 2020 stuff we have uh, iron man 2020 number five coming then i've wolverine number two which uh, if it's anything like this i couldn't be more excited for and then uh, iron man 2020 number six which wraps up the entire uh 2020 checklist of books and it has been a wild and really really fun ride
1: yeah uh, all right let's swing over to spider-man with amazing spider-man number 44 uh because we're starting to get into a whole big storyline with Kindred, that creepy bug fool, uh, the bad guy there, and Sin Eater. Sin Eater's back. Tucker and I just recorded something really cool that were, you know ties into the whole Sin Eater saga. We'll be uh, unleashing that upon you, Marvel's Pulse listeners, in due time. Uh, this issue is gross, yo. It's it's like dark <laughs> and creepy and bugs and nasty violence, and it's just it's messed up it's written by nick spencer art by kim jacinto with bruno olivieri colors by david curiel letters by vcs joe caramagna and uh yeah it's just messed up that's all i gotta say
0: (laughs) um moving from amazing spider-man now to avengers number 34 uh, this is by Jason Aaron and Javier Garron, with colors by Jason Keith and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, this is The Age of Konshu Part 2 uh, story arc that I am loving. That first issue was so good. To see Moon Knight get involved, to see Khonshu, uh and the power of the god Konshu enter the wild tapestry that has been and is continued to be painted by Jason and company. Really incredible stuff. I kind of can only, in uh, for my judgment of this, I only kind of want to talk about like the first four pages, which shows Moon Knight heading <laughs> yeah. to Las Vegas, uh, having a moment, I'll say, with Mephisto, and it is so, so cool. Oh, but dude, the, the,
1: the Black Panther scene, and I, yes. I know you okay. didn't want to talk about it, but all I'll say is there's a Black Panther scene in this. Yes, yes. There's a couple of them, <laughs> but there's one where I was just like... It's like getting up, kicking stuff over in my in my house it was like yeah, and, and that's why the ceiling fell in my bedroom.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, things get very spoily very quick, but yes, exactly. Whoa, uh, Black Panther is in this book, and awesome stuff happens with and to him. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, Avengers Thirty Four yeah. just continues a pace. It's so good.
1: Yeah. Uh, another book I love this week is Captain Marvel number 17, written by Kelly Thompson, guest art by Francesco Mana, guest colors by Carlos Lopez, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And this is one of my favorite things in the Marvel universe, a poker game. It is a tried and true to tradition. You, uh, If you all remember, listeners, when we did our Marvel team up, Issues uh, reading club episode with Mr. Steve Wacker. There was a poker game there. Um, You know, the poker game leads to all kinds of wild antics and heroics, and it brings in a couple different characters and they bounce off each other in new ways, and it's super duper fun. This one is great because it's a poker game at Carol Danvers' place, and you got Wolverine, and you've got a couple of other, uh, you know, supporting characters like Hazmat and such uh, from Captain Marvel. And then she also invites Ms. Marvel over, who comes with a bunch of board games cuz she's a child and <laughs> like and I, don't, I don't say that uh, like in a bad way she is a child she's like not wanting to play poker she wants to play the marvel universe versions of certain games including namopoly uh twist <laughs> settlers of Tacon. pachisi (laughs) and uh some sort of pursuit definitely not trivial that one but uh it was so good i love that kind of stuff it is a lot of fun tucker do you play poker i feel like you're a poker guy
0: no you know i haven't i think i played like once when i was in like sixth grade some like uh you know just imagine what is that like a 11 year old me but like talking in a 1930s patois and and betting chips and wearing a, a bowler hat and smoking a cigar in a darkly lit uh, speakeasy. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, have you done an escape room? I do not see you doing an escape room. Oh, well, see? Absolutely. A, a ton of them. <laughs> I
1: like it. You're flipping the scripts. That's great. <laughs>
0: um yeah uh big time big fan moving on now from captain marvel we have conan battle for the serpent crown number three it's written by saladin ahmed with art by luke ross colors by nolan woodard and letters by vcs travis lanham uh this is another one of those books that i think continues to surprise me and it shouldn't because it's saladin ahmed and luke ross luke ross is one of these artists uh that i think is about I, if I can make a bet poker style, I would put all my chips on Luke Ross because I think he's about to explode in a really, really big way. I mean, for me, it's only a matter of time. And I have no inside information that I'm going off of or anything like that. But it's only a matter of time before we see Luke Ross's name uh, right there with some of the flagship books out there in the Marvel Universe um, because he is incredible. There's something about the shapes of his characters, the way that he... Um, leans in, into exaggerations a little bit in terms of silhouettes, in terms of people, uh, characters and people's faces and smiles, um, the way that it is just a little bit um, beyond uh, reality. But at the same time, he, he his acting is so incredible. It's, it's all there. And those are some of the greatest moments that emerge from this book for me, because we have this strange, weird story uh, that we've been following along with Battle for the Serpent Crown. But uh, at the same time, amidst the kind of, you know, dark and monstrous stuff, you're connected to Conan in a way that I think is really, really fun. I don't know if this is one of those things that I want to s- talk too much about, but there is also another character that we talked about that shows up and does cool things, and that something similar happens in this book as well. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah.
1: Also, it, it's in the title, so uh, it's not that much of a spoiler that they're going after the serpent crown and i freaking love the serpent crown and set and all that weird stuff that comes with it uh it's real cool uh also real cool is a big in here it is empire number one written by al ewing and dan slott who are the guests we're gonna have later on for our reading club uh this episode so stay tuned for that after we get through the new books the script on this one is by mr al ewing Art by Valerio Skiti, Colors by Marte Gracia. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, this one's cool. One of the things I noticed right at the gate is the book's production, like the character and the credits pages. Just a little bit that I like there. Shout out to the team for you know giving different books different looks and making um, making just something unique. Uh, one important thing, if you've not read the the two number zero issues, you won't be lost. Uh, Everything is totally recapped, but you'll have missed some really cool setup and little bits of character moments in those number zero issues. So I would say those are good to to read if you miss them, uh, if you haven't read them yet, but you do not need to. There's a really cool point in the beginning of this issue where Ghost Rider fires up a Quinjet, which looks awesome. Lots of really cool stuff in here. Dialogue between Thing and Hulkling. That was real cute that I really dug. Super Scroll does something I've never seen him do before. And I don't know if it was in the script or or just from Valerio being an amazing artist. Uh, It is like transforming, I don't know, into this weird array of shapes and doing something super cool, which I I love that. Um, You know, we talk about various artists drawing wild monsters and creatures and different things I want to give it up also to Valerio for designing many uh, members of the kotati race the plant people uh, they just he draws dozens of them they all look super different and cool and unique and they all look like different flowers and and all kinds of fun stuff um look
0: it's it's great you're this is the big summer book uh, jump on board totally and hey we have an Empire. Uh, tie-in issue coming up next with Fantastic Four number 21. It's written by Dan Slott with art by Paco Bandina with Sean Isaacs colors by Marcio Meniz and Eric Arcidiega and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. You know, as I was reading this book, I kind of found this um, really wonderful meta aspect to it because uh, there's like a, uh, some really incredible, just like, Character stuff happening in here, but also family stuff happening in here and not just with the Fantastic Four. And so as I kept reading, I was thinking, of course, leave it to Dan to utilize the Fantastic Four book to utilize this first family uh, series to tell these intimate stories to get you know to allow you to get to know some of these uh, the the finer points the intimate moments of some of the characters that are you know certainly involved in the Empire event at large it's really awesome. really fun I think um, there's a ton to dig into here and it was a, a, a great time to read
1: yeah uh, speaking of gorgeous issues we've got giant size X-Men Magneto number one oh, written by Jonathan Hickman art by Ramon Perez colors by David Curiel letters by VCs Clayton Cowell I, I'm a big fan of Ramon's work, like, across all his books and stuff that he's done. Uh, and his style here is a little bit different. It's a little bit darker, more photorealistic in places, which I, I love. I sort of, like, with, with these giant size X-Men issues, it's Jonathan working with an artist to do something specific and special for that artist, with that artist. And, like, they just excel here. Uh, you've got this character that they introduced named Saucier uh saucier saucier s-a-u-c-i-e-r who is emma frost's mutant chef uh look (laughs) i want i'm putting this out here right now i want a book about saucier like a like a a manga that's about cooking you know there's tons of great (laughs) cooking manga books out there i want one that's like him and getting in like cooking and all kinds of wild stuff and getting in adventures and i just I love this character from the little bit we get of him. Uh, It's really, really cool. But the big selling point here, Namor and Magneto team up. That is all you need to know. And it freaking rules.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, great stuff there. And next up we have uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number four. Uh, It's written by Al Ewing with art by Juan Cabal. Colors by Federico Blee and Guru EFX and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Just opening this book, I thought, hey... How great is it to be back with the Guardians? Um, this is another one of those books that obviously we took a little bit of a break from, but now we're back and we're in high gear right away. Um, it just reminded me kind of, of of what a specific take Al Ewing has on this team and what specific things he has decided the brand of a Guardians of the Galaxy book is asking for. Um beyond that um because there's some really really cool stuff that's going on here with all the different team members specifically revolving around Gomorrah, which i'm super excited about it's really really cool but um you know after a a few months break we can finally jump back on our um kind of like retro futuristic like tricycle bicycle with horns and like bells and like (laughs) you know and like you and I, Ryan, can start riding that down the street again, screaming the name Juan Cabal because the yeah. art in this issue is so gorgeous. He somehow finds a way to simultaneously at various points in this issue communicate like very specifically um, what where you are geographically in a space, what's happening action-wise in a scene, where characters are moving from A to B to C with... Um, with just a a very unique uh, and very specific like artistic take that allows you insight into either a character specific movements within that greater um, movement uh, to, to to these little specific moments or to character moments that have happened in the past character things that are that they're thinking about or just um, really unique uh, artistic takes on uh, what's happening at large the way that uh, Juan breaks apart. Um, a panel structure, the way that he could just makes everything completely his own is just a sight to behold. It is really, really a pleasure every single time. I'm so excited that this book is back. I'm so excited that I have, like I said, the pleasure of getting to read some Wong Cabal stuff um, uh, once more. And of course, when you pair it with a mind like Al Ewing's and the plans that he has for the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, it is going to be some really, really uh, unique, really unusual but really great Technicolor Cosmic Fair, and that's exactly what you get here. As well, I might add, as a little coda here, some drax. I'll leave it at that. Won't say how, won't say yeah. why, won't say where, but a little bit of nice drax. Great stuff.
1: Hell yeah. Uh look, I just realized we have an Al Ewing hat trick here because oh yeah. we've got Immortal Hulk number 35, written by our boy Al, with art by Mike Hawthorne, doing guest pencils and Mark Morales, guest inking. Colors by Paul Mounts and Letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Uh great job by Mike and Mark on fitting into Joe Bennett uh and and roy jose's style of of the you know the weird and dark side of things but also getting realistic and freaky weird uh it's cool i i definitely dig the psychological parts of the story i mean that that's so much of it but like inside banner's head uh, that's a lot of what we see in this issue the hows and the whys and the movements and like sort of the mechanics of how banner functions i like that stuff and then when you put it in such an entertaining and creepy way it's it's fantastic uh and then there's this big bada boom at the end that um man every issue just ends on such a moment
0: totally um big fan of that issue and also a big fan of spider woman number two which is what we have coming down the line next. It's written by Carla Pacheco with art by Pere Perez, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, I was a huge fan of that Spider-Woman uh, number one issue. Uh, you and I, Ryan, talked to Carla all about it and so much more when uh, she was on the pull list talking about the history of the X-Men. Um, really, really fun stuff. You know, it, it's that perfect balance like you would expect in any Spider-down whatever uh noun comes out of that uh it comes after that book um in that you know i think it's it's so uh, kind of gymnastic in how fun and exciting it is and the action scenes that happen but also the great humor, and more than that, the great sense of character that you get throughout. And I think that was something that Carla and the entire team nailed with that issue number one. I was really excited to see it continue here with issue number two. Specifically, like, this opening page that you turn into uh, right at the start of this book is this big... Um, uh, a big uh, page of uh, like this great dark fight scene with some really, really cool narration over the top of it um, that addresses Jess, but also the fact that she's been feeling sick lately. That is and will continue to be a big part of this story, um, which I think adds so much to it. It's really great stuff. Then we enter a really fun fight scene with Rhino, Rhino, which is just so great. Uh, it is kind of classic superhero, super villain, like throwdown until a point, and then it turns in the most delightful, unusual way, and I thought it was great, uh, and really felt like a hallmark of what this book is, and, and what it'll, um, you know, just the sense of humor that this book has, which I think is so unique. Really, really exciting stuff. Really cool new characters. Uh, I could not be more excited for this. I think this is one of the most promising books around right now really really great stuff
1: yeah the new villain has arms like a peloton trainer uh if anyone out there (laughs) is does peloton uh some of uh, like the dudes are are like just big dudes, but some of the ladies have the coolest arms, and they flex, and it's like glass breaks around them. Uh, it's awesome. And the rad new villain in this, she's got arms like one of those Peloton women. It's dope. Uh, this issue also ends with uh, a little like tease of secrets, which is a uh, you know something that I pioneered for years on the Twitter. Uh, they spelled it a little bit differently, but I'm going to take credit for it because uh, Carla's not here to say otherwise. I did want to shout out Bradley Tan on. Instagram instagram who sent me a note saying hey agent m i just listened to marvel's pull list a couple weeks ago where you tucker marcus and carlo pacheco talked about x-men and i was super excited when you guys talked about new mutants number 10 and there was a scene where glob eh, was making vegetarian laksa and then bradley goes on to talk about how it's you know a, a top Malaysian dish, uh, or, you know, something important for, um, his culture and something really cool. And he has an article about it, which I just thought was great. And so thanks for listening, Bradley. And, um, I read the article. It was cool. Uh, I love seeing stuff like that. Um, yeah, let's keep on rolling because uh, we've already had one little bit of teeny Howard action, but that's not enough for us. We need Strike Force number eight, written by teeny with art by Hedmon Peralta, colors by Guru EFX, lettering and design by VC's Joe Sabino. The team, uh, which is such a fun, weird team there in Svartalheim, so we got dark elves and we got dark magic and a trip to hell. Uh, Angela fans, if you were a fan of Angela's numerous series, uh, the first page. It's gonna be a doozy. It was for me. Uh, it's like, oh, uh, you like you get your. your I'm not gonna say anything more. Just say if you're an Angela fan. Read this book. Uh, and I really love the way Teeny writes Blade. He's um, just like attitude and skills to back them up. It's very Wesley Snipes esque in all the best ways. Like, uh, like that's just the way many people think of the character, and I think it works exceptionally well here. Uh, and then a little tease because there's more Deadpool shenanigans coming.
0: Totally. Um, all right, wrapping up new books this week, we finish with Venom number 26. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Ivan Coelho and Juan Gideon. Colors by Jesus Abertov and Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I honestly don't know how I can do this book justice by talking about it on here. Um, We just wrapped up the the Venom Island uh, story arc, which was incredible. Um, uh, So much fun. But honestly, just starting this issue and reading through it, I already feel like all the insanity that went down in Venom Island is already like a fun jaunt compared to what's happening (laughs) here somehow they continue to ratchet up the action in new ways um oh that was a lark yeah where we go yes exactly the way that we have learned and continue to build this relationship between eddie and his son dylan is really incredible and now we're at the point where every single page every single interaction between those two just it just hits something within you um uh, it, it really strikes a chord and uh, I think those scenes are really really wonderful, especially to ground all of the all the you know all the madness that like we said that's been going on all around it. those just little moments where Dylan is happy though are are, are you know as emotionally impactful in a way as some of the other stuff that comes down the line. like I mentioned uh, with a few books earlier, this is one that I think definitely definitely, Cannot say it enough, one of the biggest like alarm bell sounds that I can ring in a long time of spoiler territory for sure. I'll just say the maker is involved. Um, There is a new character that I know Donnie and Ryan Stegman have been talking about online a little bit called Virus uh, that's involved in here, which is really, really cool. Um, But after that, and especially I would say in the last five or so pages... Uh, all I can say is people are gonna lose their minds. Ooh. That's all I can say. People are going to freak out. Yeah, lose
1: their mind. <laughs> I knew what was coming. Yeah. Uh. I knew it was coming, and I would lost yeah. it. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I ripped the comic in half, even though I don't have a print copy. I just threw my tablet across the room, and then it reassembled itself again. It was great. Oh, man, it was dope. Exactly,
0: exactly what yeah, like you said.
1: There's a lot of freak out in that yeah, issue. Yeah. Oh man, so good. Uh, dear listeners, I want you to know Tucker keeps looking off to the side off uh, our, our <laughs> video chat, and I imagine, and Tucker, I don't want you to, I don't want you to say anything. Nope. I imagine it's a roommate or somebody else. Just <laughs> (laughs) dancing naked, trying to distract you from concentrating on your comic book work right now, Uh, which I need you to keep going with. Tell me, what collections are out this week?
0: Um, All right. We have this week Amazing Spider-Man Full Circle in hardcover. That's a really fun one uh, with a great uh, creative premise behind it. Uh, We also have Astonishing X-Men Companion Trade Paperback, Conan's Serpent War Uh, Death of Wolverine, Prelude, Three Months to Die, Ms. Marvel by Saladin Ahmed, Volume 2, Storm Ranger, Runaways, Pride and Joy, Marvel Select. Uh, In hardcover, then we have Uncanny X-Men, Omnibus, uh, Volume 1, hardcover, cane cover, new printing, uh, and then also uh, uh, the Uncanny X-Men, Omnibus, uh, volume 1 hardcover with a Watson cover.
1: Heck yeah. And then uh, there's some new comics on Marvel Unlimited, as is tradition. New issues for MU of Deadpool and Excalibur, Black Cat. Uh, big, real cool thing with Marvel's X number one. Uh, Miles Morales, The End is now on Marvel Unlimited, which I, I know we really loved. The first issue of Star, uh, which is dope. Another issue of X-Force. And um, if you are getting ready for Marvel's Avengers, the upcoming video game, the Marvel's Avengers Thor issue is now in Marvel Unlimited. So lots of cool stuff, uh, but we still have much more show for you. Tucker, what's coming up right now?
0: Right now, we're going to dive into an amazing, wonderful, excellent uh, interview that I could not wait for with. Uh, two of the biggest brains in the mighty Marvel universe. No, I'm not talking about Reed Richards or Victor Von Doom or anything like that. I'm talking about Al Ewing and Dan Slott. Dan Slott,
1: Al Ewing, welcome to Marvel's Pullist. How are you two doing? Oh, not bad, not bad, pretty good.
2: I'm doing great. This is this is Empire, so I'm I'm letting Al take the lead in all things.
3: Oh boy. Uh, um.
1: well, you know I. I have so Dan, we recently had Spider-Verse editor Nick Lowe on the show, and he made sure to correct Tucker and I on proper pronunciation of certain events. And if I remember correctly, Al, you corrected me earlier this year about the proper way to pronounce Empire. Is that correct?
3: It is true. You've got to um you've got to give it a little bass. You've got to uh, pronounce it empire. <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of
2: and uh, fantastic for our, our empire crossings
1: oh boy <laughs> uh dad we'll workshop that one with you um a, a, a later time oh boy tucker what are the two issues that we're going to be talking about uh in this reading club
0: uh today we're going to be talking about avengers annual number 14 and Fantastic Four annual number 19, so a little bit of a, an Avengers-Fantastic Four crossover in, what year was it, 1985? Yep. Yes, so I uh, picked a couple of, of, of those annuals for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get into that, I, I did want to say, let's first remember uh, the mighty Joe Sinnott, who he actually inked the Fantastic Four annual that we're talking about here. Um, yeah, cor- uh,
2: John Byrne penciled the whole thing. And one, the Avengers chapter is inked by uh, Kyle Baker, and the Fantastic Four section was inked by Mighty Joe Sinnott.
1: Yeah, which is yeah. incredible. We recently lost Joe. Um, but I, I wanted to just point out to some of our listeners who maybe they don't know his name as well. I mean, of course, you should. But according to one source that I use very often, Joe penciled and or inked nearly 800 stories for Marvel, just Marvel, across roughly 700 issues and worked on more than 700 covers on top of those stories. His first story that he did for Marvel, as far as I could tell, was in Black Rider number 13, which released November 1950... And his last new work uh, for Marvel, I believe, was a Marvel's Comics Captain America story, which Marvel's Comics was sort of the. Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, or Al, you you too. This if, was if the... they were
2: they were the comics that you could buy if you lived in the Marvel Universe.
1: Correct. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he he worked on the Captain America story from may of 2000 so he was producing marvel comics for nearly 50 years i wanted to make sure we just uh, we mentioned joe here at the top of the conversation because we will be talking about the art and stuff but my goodness what a career
2: oh, God. i i know so many pencilers that like it was one of their their life goals was to be inked by synnet like mike allred has never been happier than when he did an Untold Tales of Spider-Man Annual and Joe Synod inked over him. Um, I used to be art returnist at Marvel in the 90s. So I got to, like, you could. I didn't even need to see whether Joe's name was in the credits. You knew what Synod inks looked like when it was time to split up the art. Um, he was just such a, you know, we talk about the House of Ideas and you talk about Lee and Kirby. Uh, but so much of my FF growing up, it was Lee Kirby and Sinet. Um, you you just knew um, Joe Sennett. Ah, it's like our childhood, and I'm I'm sad that he's gone. But uh, I'm so amazed. I get we all have this legacy of all this great artwork. Yeah. Sorry. No,
1: <laughs> no, that, no, that, that, that uh, it's exactly what I was hoping to hear. That. I I figured you had some special remembrance and uh, the importance that um, Joe has on, on things is is, uh, we understate it too much, I think. And so hopefully more people will understand what's,
2: what's amazing with the issues we're going to be talking about is this is a weird crossover annual where the Fantastic Four story starts in one place and the Avengers story starts in another, and then they kind of meet in the middle. And there, and since John Byrne penciled the entire both jobs, you got two different inkers. But when you got to the combo pages, the two inkers obviously inked on vellum, so it's you get to see the exact some of the same pages, some of the same artwork, and you get to see what an inker brings to the job, the difference between the Kyle Baker page, inked pages and the Joe Sinnott inked pages. It's one of the coolest things about this crossover.
3: I remember we had this uh, reprinted uh, when I was a kid in the UK. The um, I've told this story a lot, but the reason uh, I'm such a big mobile fan was because when I was growing up, we had Secret Wars uh, reprinted, and uh, one of the this is not connect these issues are not connected to Secret Wars, but they had to uh, they had to fill a lot of issues of the UK Secret Wars reprint comic. So I believe this was, like, um, a big, like, summer special and then a couple of issues of, like, the regular comic. And, um, yeah, you know, so at the time, I got them on these sort of, these huge pages, much bigger than, like, normal comic pages. And I, I remember just spreading spreading out both uh, both the comics and sort of pouring over the differences between, like, um, the Sinnott inks and the, uh, and the Baker inks. And like just being fascinated by it, so um that might have been you know one of the the earlier times when uh I really got into like the idea that there were sort of people behind this stuff, and you know this was like um there were jobs in the comics field that you could get, so uh yeah no it's a really it's a really amazing thing to to like read as a kid this thing and i I believe them. Um, that was, that was kind of a bit of an influence. These these two annuals were kind of a bit of an influence on us when we were planning Empire.
2: Ab- absolutely. I think from day one, uh, Tom and Alana wanted a Fantastic Four Avengers crossover. And When you think of FF Avengers crossover, um, boom, you think of these two annuals, which got us thinking, let's blow out the Kree-Scrawl War. Let's do the ultimate yeah. Kree-Scrawl War story.
3: Yeah. And it's like the fact that they start in such different places and then kind of converge. I know I was thinking about that. I think we all were kind of thinking about that in the writer's room. You know how we can have that effect like that, I guess.
2: It really shows up the most in the zero issues and the first issue. When the two teams are coming together and we decided, I think you decided, let's have one meet from the front and one meet from the back. Yeah. And then they'll kind of meet up in the middle we're like, oh, like the annuals, let's do that.
3: And then in, in issue one, which um, the Avengers have a more uh, active kind of gung-ho waiting in there, and uh, the FF are a little more kind of thoughtful about it. And yeah, for which... people who still haven't read it, then a thing happens.
2: <laughs> for, for those of you that have read it, way to go. Way to go. Way to... <laughs> Get out there and hmm. dare the external world to get to your comic shop and pick up this lovely bounty. Thank you.
3: Well, I Ditto. hope you picked it up safely.
2: You know, And uh, just, just, you know, put yourself in a big Mylar comic book bag, roll yourself <laughs> to the store. Um, just like these annuals, uh, one of the fun things is, like, when you see the Fantastic Four story, it it's like this weird little story with the infant terrible. And you're like, what's this? And meanwhile, the Avengers are off doing their cool 30s gangster thing. And then they meet in this bizarre middle. uh, You see in um, FF Empire Zero, um, our guys, before they meet up with uh, the Avengers, you get to see this weird adventure in an intergalactic uh, cage fight where they have to rescue these orphan uh, Kree and Skrull children. And then they go to meet up with the Avengers. So, we're, we're, I think we're we're really in this kind of zone.
3: We do kind of mirror in Emperor, because I'm I'm just looking now at like the page where uh, the two teams meet, and it's literally like She Hulk ripping open a wall, and the Avengers are there in the in the FF version. And then I'm going to jump now. I've got them both open on my uh, on my iPad, so I can jump between them. But to yeah. um, to jump to the uh, to the Avengers one, it's um, it's a similar deal, it's just they're just standing there and then suddenly She-Hulk bursts through the wall. and uh,
2: Obviously, we- they do the thing of, like, scrolls.
3: Yeah. About, <laughs> they they go through it really quickly, though. It's, like, a really good example of, like, how to deal with that. But, um, no, we do a similar thing where we have, kind of, like, the bit in the middle of one where, like, Tony suddenly sees Reed and Reed sees Tony and, like, they realise they're both involved.
0: This this leads me to a kind of broad question that I think is at varying levels of tacit or explicit in these annuals. But from your perspective, how would you each characterize the way that the Avengers approach an enemy or a problem um, versus how the Fantastic Four do it? Would you say that there are definite differences, or are there kind of are they kind of the same?
2: The FF are explorers by nature. They kind of just tootle around the universe and look for the next cool thing, and then adventures just happen. Where I think the Avengers are far more reactionary, or you, you know, problems. somehow, oh, let's okay. do this. Yeah, yeah.
3: I think there's an interesting there's an interesting thing between the two of them, um, and I think we do kind of tackle this a little bit during the crossover, which is that the FF, they're explorers. Uh, they're also family. And the Avengers are more of a kind of uh, society. And it's it's like it's kind of in their approaches, you know, like Dan says, you know, the FF are sort of there to um, there to learn and explore. The, the Avengers, I think, in their, you know, there comes a day at, and they, they get together to fight what cannot be fought alone, which is like um, emphasis seems to be on the fighting. So, you know. Um,
2: one of the great th- things you you do in the in the whole empire scheme of things is you, you really show that all the FF have been accepted into this Avengers team into this society. Mm-hmm. It's par- it's also they a facet of Avengers. who the FF are.
3: Every single one of them has been an Avenger um,
2: at some point. Yeah,
3: and certain Avengers have been FF and i believe they do get a little extra shine the uh, the avengers who have also been members of the ff get a little extra uh, little extra love from us
1: i'm gonna bring us back and give a little bit of um sort of a, a place setting the first part of the annual crossover was uh, avengers annual number 14 that came out july 30th 1985 and then the fantastic four issue came out the next week uh, which was. Great, you'd love to see that. Uh, This one written by Roger Stern and um, Uncle
2: Raj, (laughs) uh,
1: with the art. The they they call it breakdowns in here by John Byrne, um, but it's still it's 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 Bernie pencils and then uh, finishes by Kyle Baker. His um, more intense inks, Uh, colors by Christy Shield, letters by John Workman. Um, Kyle Baker, man, we Tucker and I just uh, talked about truth with Vita Ayala and Danny Lore, and going over, you know, Kyle's work there. Um, and that was 18 years, yeah, 18 years after this, Kyle's been working in comics for so long. So friggin' great. Dan, did you ever get a chance to work with Kyle?
2: I've never gotten a chance to work with Kyle. Um, I, I've always loved his work, especially his creator own, um, is gorgeous. Uh, you look at his inks on, on the Avengers annual, and it, it makes everyone seem a little kind of photorealistic and real. And all the Senate stuff is like classic in-your-face Marvel. So it's kind of, it's this neat, it really, if anyone who's interested in all in inking, uh, these are two incredible issues to pour over. Because you can see two people, that, you know, at the height of their game, doing completely different styles. How to approach this and how it changes the John Byrne pencils.
3: I mean I'm, I'm doing that right now. I'm sort of flipping between them. As with the with the Senate stuff, you have this like the beautiful line of it, and just like um, you know it just brings out the um
2: it's, it's the Byrne pencils. It's like, it's uh, marvel through and through.
3: The Cole Baker and, stuff yeah. does add that amazing sort of patina of like it's almost like Neil Adams in places, just this sort of because the Avengers go to the 30s casino, where the Skrulls all uh, are very influenced by the gangster movies, they uh, they meet a Humphrey Bogart Skrull, and they <laughs> hang around a lot with a Humphrey Bogart Skrull. And yeah, that is a beat that will only work if you just see Humphrey Bogart there. And um, yeah, Colbert Kyle Baker just
2: nails it. Yeah.
3: Nails that. Um,
2: and and is someone who is obviously Humphrey Bogart like. And not legally actionable by any estate. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bumfrey <laughs> <It's>... Hogarth.
3: <laughs> but even even when the um, even when the kind of scrolls uh, turn back into scrolls, they've still got these very sort of uh, you know realistic realistic faces, but they're sort of gurning more, and you know that's that isn't lost. Kobaker does a wonderful job with the gurning and the, and the yelling. It, it...
2: It's it's weird. It's like the things you appreciate when you're a kid versus the stuff you appreciate when you get older and you look at it as like a fan, you know, where you go, look at that inking. When you're a kid, it's almost like you don't know who makes the stuff and you just go, what's Captain America doing? What's Reed doing? What a great story. Oh, my God, he's trapped in that armor. Oh! You know, <laughs> and and but then you're older and you go, look at those inks. <laughs> When I was a boy, we inked twelve blocks in the snow. You know, it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, and also, some... you look at like what what's the dialogue that Roger wrote? What's the dialogue that Byrne wrote? Because we had we had that situation in an issue.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. spoil. Um...
2: <laughs> like I had a I had a Spider Man issue that I had written. Um, i talked to Jonathan Hickman in one of the Marvel retreats. I said to, to Jonathan in a break, Hey, if human torch is dying, do you want, you want Spider-Man on the team? Like, I think it would be cool. Like he could leave Johnny and his will could leave us his spot on the team. Like he's leaving Spidey a family and Jonathan went, I can have Spider-Man in my book. I'm like, yeah. And then we're like, Oh, this is cool. Um, and that, that was how like future foundation came apart. Um, but when we were doing the issue where they had the the will being read um, by Johnny's hologram, both Jonathan and I were kind of writing the same scene. And um, his issue of Fantastic Four left before my issue of Spider-Man. And Tom Brevoort was like, oh, well, it's got to be the same message. So he took all of Jonathan, he took all of my dialogue out of the book and he put Jonathan's in. <laughs> oh, no. And Yeah. And I write like, you know, Jonathan writes beautiful, poetic, you know, it's just it's gorgeous. And I write like Stan Lee's little brother. You know, so it's like it didn't in the middle of the comic, it's just it just popped right in there. And I, I like argued with Tom over the phone for ages. Like, let me put in my own dialogue. It's like it's the Marvel universe. It it all connects. You know. And then I convinced him it was a different part of the will and I wrote a completely different section and then he let it go through. So it was like, I was like writing it on the fly. Scary. Anyway, but like, I think ours works well. I think it, I, I hope it feels like Al scripting and you won't know I was in there
3: noodling. I mean, I think, I think, um, the bit, the bit you're talking about, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be very hard to spot. Um, yeah. I mean in terms of like that thing of like oh the dialogue's got to be exactly the same anytime I do a flashback to like an old scene I've got to have the original dialogue in there <coughs> and it's like some of you know some of that stuff was like written in the 60s so i am kind of like uh... oh there's um, an issue of the hog that just came out which is like the history of the leader yeah, yeah that
1: yeah. was a great issue
3: oh cheers but a lot yeah. of that is like exact dialogue from the original comics oh. but like recontextualized yeah so, yeah, do you I'm, feel, I'm a to suck for that. You,
2: when, when you're doing stuff like that, and it's like Stan Lee dialogue, do you feel the need to slightly tweak it with doing things like where Stan would use, like, three exclamation points, and you'll be like, I'll just use one? I mean, or do, you... I
3: do. I feel like I kind of... I generally do keep the three exclamation points, and then <laughs> it sort of gets corrected at the lettering checks. But, like... um. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'll uh, sometimes I'll do the three exclamation points. But oh man, I, I do I do love doing that. I do love like um, this is what he said. <laughs> this is what Loki said at the time uh, oh, with the two I exclamation marks and then yeah, <laughs> all of that is verbatim.
2: <laughs> yes, my transistor-powered armor.
3: Oh, I that's love I fun. love that Iron Man scene where he's like um, rising up off the slab and shouting, "The transistors are keeping me alive," and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and now that's like now that's in like 2006 or whatever, and it's like, okay.
2: Well, that's the um. stuff they had in the cave. <laughs> I would have that problem working on Spidey, where I do a flashback to Aunt May, and she's changed so much over the years. As people have made her more progressive and modern, and then you flash back and she has that old bun on the back of her head and she's going, Oh, Peter. And whenever I do a flashback and use the original sand dialogue, it would just feel like, Meanwhile, Aunt May is turning into Marissa Tomei over here in the present. It just feels weird.
1: I embrace the new Marissa Tomei reality for Aunt May. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Me too.
3: I mean, any, any Aunt May where she's not like making Peter a stack of wheat cakes because. You know, she thinks he's just going to die in front of them. <laughs> Both those characters think the other one is going to die right in front of them at the slightest <laughs> breeze. And they go on like that I for like 20 that. years.
2: Uh, oh, just to, just to bring this all full circle, if you find that Mike Allred, Kurt Busick Joe Sinnott uh, annual for uh, Untold Tales of Peter Parker, one of the special things in that annual is Kurt Busick put in um, one of the secrets of Aunt May... The recipe for her wheat cakes, and you can follow it and make actual wheat cakes. It is a working recipe. Oh,
3: that's amazing,
1: uh, Tucker. That sounds like Marvel.com gold right there.
0: <laughs> wheat. You know, the people are dying for their wheat cakes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: getting getting back very quickly to that like earliest <laughs> earliest issues thing. Um, I do want to say my absolute favorite one of those is. Betty Betty Ross, uh, her very first line in issue one of Hulk is: uh, "Bruce Panner is one of the government's greatest scientists. I'm sure he knows what he's doing."
1: <laughs> that's, like, <laughs> that's the
3: first line Betty Ross ever says, and it's like oh, it's just a wonderful kind of like prediction of doom, <laughs> like uh, the next the next eighty years or whatever.
1: And that set up Immortal Hulk pretty much my my favorite
2: my favorite earliest line that i borrowed uh was flash thompson commenting about peter parker and how he wouldn't know a waltz from a cha-cha because that's what teenagers care about
3: i mean i guess i guess these days it would be like um from what's the other dance that the kids do now dabbing I don't know. I'm so <laughs> no, the, oh, boy.
2: Dabbing's already gone, man.
1: This has gone into a weird place, my friends. Yeah, uh, Al and I are quickly, like, scanning the plus, the plus,
3: that's a thing that happens. <laughs> Peter Parker wouldn't know it.
1: I do want to get back into the comic a little bit, because uh, I want to talk about these 1930s Earth-obsessed Skrulls, uh, which I, I know you brought them back a few years ago, Al. You were working with them. Is this their first appearance?
3: Uh, it's not. The first appearance would be like, um, I want to say in like the 80s or 90s. And when I say the 80s or 90s, I mean issue 80 or 90 of Fantastic Four.
1: Because
3: uh, I, I knew as soon as that came out of my mouth that it was giving completely the wrong expression. <laughs> um, no, they, no, it was. It would have been the 60s. It was around then. was it like uh, when Ben Grimm had to fight Torgo, the Space Gladiator?
2: Yeah, it's, it's around there. And that was on there. the front of the think, Gangster Scrolls. I, yeah, I, now... Didn't the Planet of the Gangster Scrolls also introduce the Planet of the Medieval Scrolls, like around the same know, time?
3: I don't know about that. I, I think I sort of threw in some Roman Scrolls, but um, I mean, I think it, 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 it like it was. I say was because uh, I blew it up back in a Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> Annual. Anyway. But like, um, I don't, you know, a lot of a lot of the Gangster Scrolls survived. But like um it was a whole a whole solar system of um of scroll planets where they dressed as uh Earth people of various genres, I think. But the which, first which the is, first ones we saw were the gangster scrolls.
2: Did did um, you ever read Alan Davis did a did a series of X-Men stories which introduced because one of the things that happens in this storyline is a status uh, quo change for the scrolls for many years where um, there's a hyper bomb or something that goes off, which by yep. the end of the story freezes all the scrolls in whatever form they're in, and they can no longer, quote unquote no longer shape change. Um, and I Alan forget. Davis did it yeah. did a story where um, there were scrolls that were stuck in the shade of useless disguises of people Marvel characters that had died. So the Skrulls were like, we can't use you. So they threw them all on a planet. So the X-Men land on this planet and like, what? Adam Warlock? What? That guy? Thunderbird? What's going on? And it was all the useless Skrulls they couldn't use anymore to infiltrate because they were dead people. I love that.
1: How did the Skrulls get their powers back?
2: Oh, I think there was some story where one of them kind of gets the gift back, like it gets unlocked, and then they set up in status quo that you had to, like, Skrulls had to go out and like either touch other Skrulls or give them the injection one at a time, and then you just kind of figured, yeah, they all eventually got it, and then everyone ignored that this story ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's the one cool thing about the Skrulls is they can change their shape. And it's like, you want to see that, man. Don't take away their shape-changing thing. It's like when we were doing Secret Invasion years ago, there was a point at one of the retreats where Bendis went, yeah, I, I don't want you guys to do Skrull shape-changing in the other books, just in my books. So you guys can have your Super scrolls and come up with cool powers. But let's not... Do a whole bunch of stories of scroll shape changing, and everyone left the room. Everyone left the room with that rule, and then everyone went, "Forget you, Bendis. <laughs> I'm writing Skrulls. They're shape changing all over the place, and that's how crossovers are done."
1: <laughs> that's a very different version than the Secret Invasion chat we had with Tom Brevoort, but I like your perspective on it as well, Dan.
2: No, there is that one moment where they're like, "Yeah, can you guys not have them change shape?" And you're like. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna take that note. <laughs>
1: uh, in the um, Avengers Annual, there's two scroll things that I really really loved. It's the shackles that they used on Design or Dazan, however you say it, um, because it's it's a shackle that covers his face and doesn't let him change shape, which I think is such a fascinating and cool way to, to secure someone who can become anything. And then um, there's the, the moment where uh, what's his name? Zybek, I believe is the, the, the would be conqueror scroll who just to go inside the armor. He like fills up the armor, which is not a way I ever pictured the scroll powers working, but I love it. And, it's so disgusting.
2: Yeah, it's 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 like the the actual suit of armor only a scroll can use it because you kind of have to fit yourself around like a maze of circuitry. And then, we, but the the best part about the moment when the bomb goes off and everyone is fused is they show you scrolls all over the universe now locking into place, and one of them is like, "Hey, ambassador, did your like anwar just shake?" some scroll is trapped as a piece of art or furniture somewhere. I don't think anyone ever found that guy and gave him the cure. People are probably like still like using him as a chest of drawers or something. There's, yeah, it's like, hey, that present that present the scroll gave you. It just glowed for a second. It's like one of the characters in Beauty and the Beast yeah. or something.
3: It is and and then, you know, what's his name? Can't get out of the armor. Oh. And I guess can't eat anything again because
2: uh, no, no, he he did some kind of scroll intravenous kind of drip. They they plug it into like his, you know, like right above his eye or something. They just oh. there you go. Well,
3: well, <laughs> feed the brain. The um the cool the cool thing. I'm always a I'm always a sucker for like um, beats where oh he's hideous by scroll standards, and then he like reveals his face, and he's just this good looking like Hollywood type. And that's that's yeah. Prince Dazan. Has yeah, a, he's, um... he's like
2: he's like the boy band of Skrulls. <laughs> he's all pretty.
3: Yeah, he's he's got this like um incredibly human proportioned face, like without like that gigantic dog eyes.
2: Yeah, it's like right before the bomb goes off, he takes his natural form because reasons.
3: Yeah, well, it's <laughs> you know he's it turns out he was the greatest scroll outcast of all because he wanted peace. It's such a good beat. I remember being really impressed by that as a kid.
1: I have a very important question for you guys. Do you have any scrolls in Empire with mustaches? <laughs> uh not that I know of. I'm, I'm
3: racking my brains now to try and think of Valerio Droney, but I don't believe so. I think they all had to shave. Um, Wait,
2: doesn't so doesn't one of them in this annual have like yeah, a yeah, yeah, pencil the, thin
1: mustache?
3: Yes. Yeah, the like, evil yeah. the evil scroll. Zavik. Dabbit, yeah.
1: Oh man. Well you know what? I'm not gonna read the rest of Empire, so there's that. No mustaches. <laughs> Gotta no assume
3: at some point they they instituted some kind of facial hair rule. Because oh. of Zabak.
2: <laughs> Fair. If a scroll has a mustache, can he only shape change into people that have mustaches? Or does the mustache suck into his face or something?
1: These are the hard hitting questions we're <laughs> asking here on Marvel's Pull List. Um, but we are running a little uh, long. Um, I want to get to a couple of last things. Most importantly, in the Fantastic Four annual uh, story and art by John Byrne, with inks by Joe Sinnott, colors by Glynis Oliver, letters by Jim Novak. Um, most importantly to the whole thing, Sue's mullet is so good. It is beautiful.
2: That that was um, crazy. Oh, yeah. they John Byrne would have like in the letters column, like, what hairstyle should I give Sue? And it became a running thing. And there's one story where she's at a hairdresser, and the villain strikes while she's in the middle of getting a different hairstyle. So yeah, like one story where Sue has this mishmash hairstyle. But yeah, she has that crazy mid '80s mullet in this, and it's it, it's a good thing she can turn parts of herself invisible.
3: I mean, Johnny has Johnny has this weird like pudding bowl sort of thing. It's like this Johnny's Johnny's hair is like incredibly styled as well. as He's yeah, got this yeah, sort it, of weird it, it's half a monk.
2: <laughs> he had that around like Secret Wars too, right? He looked, also, this is when you had uh, Johnny in love with Alicia because she was secretly a Skrull. And it's never touched on in this story.
3: I mean um, Reed's, Reed's hair is still Reed's hair. Reed's hair does not change. <laughs> Except now he's got <laughs> it, a bit. <laughs> which is okay, uh, so like, yeah
2: hey guys listening to the um the Marvel poll list uh please sound off read beard or no beard beard I, or no beard
3: I, I vote beard I think it uh, it gives him a mellow vibe <laughs> <laughs> he's clearly I mean, dad Reed, yeah he does seem a lot sort of uh older and wiser with the beard on but um no I'm a I'm a big beard fan so that's my vote.
2: I never would have guessed that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and what, now what he needs now is, like, long hair. Really long hair.
2: Done. And he should be able to, like, stretch it all like Medusa.
3: Oh, man.
1: I'm going to see this in, in a year and a half in Fantastic Four, and and, and the origins will be right here. Done.
3: I was, I've, I've got to say, actually, before we... Uh, before we stop, if we're talking about Empire, I had so much fun writing Ben. You know, he's 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 really addictive to write. He might be. Uh, I always thought I always thought Reed would be my favorite of the FF to write, but it's it's actually Ben.
2: Oh, totally Ben, all the way. But I my favorite thing you're you're doing when I'm reading Empire issues is how you script Sue. I love your take just reading your version of Sue. Oh
3: well, cool. I'm yeah, no, I do uh, I do enjoy the. Um, I mean, I enjoy all of the FF. I can I can say that because there's only four of them, so it's like <laughs> it doesn't make me sound indecisive. Um, but I do I do love them all. Well, uh,
2: who's your favorite uh, Avenger to write?
3: Um, it's weirdly I I love writing Black Panther because you see, I, knew so pop, I
2: knew I you're going to say that he's so competent
3: and he's so cool and uh, I love writing these like really cool little lines from him. But I also love I, I really like writing... I like writing Carol for similar reasons because she's, you know... She's very competent and very cool and like... But I also really like writing Tony even though I write him as... I mean, you've read issue one by now. I write him as kind of a screw-up. A bit of a mess.
2: That's my favourite Tony.
3: But I think that's really important to the character. I've always got a lot of sympathy for characters who kind of like uh, aren't 100% amazing all the way through who have these these flaws and weaknesses.
1: Uh, Tucker, take us home. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up?
0: No, no, not really. I mean, I I would just ask Dan and Al one last question about like, you know, we've, we've dove into a lot of the minutia, um, for these two stories when you both look back at them and you kind of, again, um, when you're not flipping through them panel by panel, when you're just thinking about what they did to you at the time of reading, what they mean to you now, um, how does this stack up as being, you know, a seminal moment, uh, between the Fantastic Four and the Avengers? Um, just a, very broadly speaking, what, what, what to you kind of overall makes this such a fun and special story?
3: I mean, I think for me, it's, it's all in that, it's all in those shared pages, it's all in that connected mm-hmm. tissue because, like, beyond the beyond, like the adult eyes, when you're looking at the inking and you're going, "Oh, look at that Carl biker," look at that amazing Joe Sennett inking, it's like as a kid, you read it, and that's the first time. That's the biggest chunk of connected tissue um, you've ever seen as a kid. Just like seeing, you know, these two separate comics, the FF comic, like um, the Avengers comic, seeing them kind of come together like that, it really just teaches you how connected the Marvel Universe is and how it's all just one universe and that's that's a huge thing as a kid and that's probably like a major part of why I uh, why I like it so much um, just getting getting these two connected annuals that just connected so strongly
2: um, I could, couldn't have said it better myself that's perfect, that's, that's the thing you always walk away thinking about these two annuals like, one of the things we get a lot as creators is fans constantly reaching out to you and going, which one of these two stories took place first? You know, like, I have so many people in my feed going, is Empire after Iron Man 2020 or before it? Everyone kind of feels like they have to know immediately how do all the Marvel stories fit in a row. And this was a case where you went, whoa, you, you just read these issues and went, it made so much sense. You hear these stories like Stan would tell about how people would write him letters, like doing term papers in school. And they'd try to do a report on the Doctor Strange lore because they thought it was real. You know, like they, they thought Stan was just pulling things from. I love the like we don't none of the Marvel stories don't take place in fictional cities. They take place in New York if Marvel is the world outside your window and every time you get a story like this or something like this happens, it's just one more block where you in this wall, one more link in the chain where you go, it, it all works. There's a grand plan. All <laughs> know exactly what they're doing.
0: <laughs> and I, I would just add in there as a at last note that, I feel that with Empire in this way that is so fun because it's tethered down going back to like incoming, you know, it, it, all of these pieces still have this connection that is very real and very, um, like you, you said, Dan, just kind of very tangible in real world, no matter how cosmic or how kind of uh, chaotic it all gets, the fact that we still have a very real connection to how it hits home, how it hits down the block or whatever it might be. Uh, is still so powerful, and it still feels it, and, and you know, it's still one of the 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 great connections and great tools that we get to see, uh, reading books week by week, and and certainly with Empire being a, a great case of that.
1: Well, thank you very
0: much. Yeah, you guys do good, good yeah. stuff. Thank you for comic books. <laughs> yeah, you guys aren't bad.
1: Uh, that's a wrap. I appreciate it, and Tucker does as well. Yeah, thank you both. All right, big thanks again to Al and Dan. Uh, I love just letting the two of them go and and just have a good time they're terrific and uh, of course empire number one is available this week so go check it out uh but that's a wrap for us this episode of marvel's was produced by me ryan panagos along with tucker marcus jorge estrada and mr daniel jill deboff is our director of audio and brad barton is our very own marvel boy yes he has psychedelic saliva i'm ryan and i'm tucker and this is marvel your universe